you're listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants from your stuck inside. You've heard a lot of talk about bark being the best part of a tree. Well, Cambium would like to remind you that you can't have bark without Cambium. Cambium is tree growth. This ad paid for by the Committee for Cambium Truth. Things might sound a little bit different right now because I'm just recording on my phone. I'm standing here in the middle of downtown Zurich, Switzerland, and I'm looking at a little patch of grass just here in the middle of the city that is full of fully blooming daisies. And they are really beautiful. It's full on spring here at the moment. And I don't see a lot of daisies back where I live in the United States. So it's really nice to see these beautiful little white daisies everywhere. But looking at these daisies had me thinking about this song, excuse the motorcycle there. (laughs) Looking at these daisies, had me thinking about the song Daisy Bell. Let me play a little segment of the song Daisy Bell for you right now. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer too. I'm half crazy, all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage, I can't afford a carriage. But you'll look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle bill or two. Yes, through the magic of editing, that was an original recording of the song Daisy Bell. But Daisy Bell is probably more famous because of a scene in the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey where the evil robot Hal is singing the song Daisy as he's being slowly dismantled and his brain taken apart by the, by the protagonist. But what you may not know is that's actually based on a true story. <laughs> um, the first computer to ever sing a song was programmed by IBM Labs in 1961. It was an IBM 704 computer, and it was programmed to sing the song Daisy Bell. And uh, the story, at least as I've heard it, is that Stanley Kubrick thought it was kind of creepy and included it in the movie. So here's an example of the very first computer singing a song, Daisy Bell. Computers singing about plants. Sean, how's it going? Hi, Steve. How are you? Pretty good. Do you have a plant to share with us today? I do. Oh, great. I picked picked a plant that would probably not be something you'd think I'd pick. Uh, Okay. It is the crepe myrtle tree. Oh, very good. I've only recently started to appreciate those trees because there's a bunch around here where I live and the East Coast, but I never really, I mean, I guess I, yeah. Let's talk about them. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, you'll probably find them in a lot of places now. Uh, Traditionally, you would find them in the South. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they were introduced into Charleston, South Carolina, uh, just after the Revolutionary War in, oh. in 1790. Uh, they were brought there by a French botanist named André Michaud. I probably wow. got that name pronunciation <laughs> that, wrong, but who knows? It's that French, sounds okay. You know? Yeah, m- mispronunciation uh, is a theme on this podcast, so that's okay. Particularly perfect. the Latin names. Yeah, do you have the Latin name? Can we mispronounce Oh, I do. That one? Yeah, we'll, we'll oh, yeah. get to that. I'll, <laughs> okay, okay, I'll good, certainly good. Okay. mispronounce that for you later. Awesome, uh, awesome. Or I can do that for you now. But the Latin name <laughs> is Lagerstromia uh, Indica, but ba- basically Lagerstromia. Lagerstromia. Uh, it's spelled L-A-G-E-R. S T R O E M I A. Mm. And take a look at my notes here. So there is another famous botanist named Carl Linnaeus. Oh yeah, that's that's the guy. Linnaeus is the he's like the uh, botanist. So you okay. That name yeah, you're not I, kidding. I, this is not a No, bit. no, no, no. I mean I, okay. I, and I forget exactly I know that he is the botanist. Like he kind of is like one of the biggest botanists around. I forget exactly uh, uh, why? <laughs> so apologies to people listening to a plant podcast now, but he's like a big name in botany. Yeah, I mean, cl- clearly this guy, you know, has some weight here because he had the honor of naming this tree after a fellow countryman, a Swede, whose name was Magnus von Lagerstrom. Oh, so so old Magnus there, yeah, old Magnus von Lagerstrom is the inspiration for the name Lagerstromia, which is the Latin name of the crepe myrtle, which we Ah. all know now. Okay. I had to Google this. Uh, Linnaeus is the guy who invented binomial nomenclature. He literally invented the thing of calling uh, plants and animals by two names. So Lagerstromia indica, that kind of binomial nomenclature was invented by Carl Linnaeus. So I, it's an yeah, extra so honor. Too. It's an extra honor to have the guy who invented binomial nomenclature name a binomial nomenclature thing after you. Man, Lagerstrom, yeah. he really, that was that, what an honor. Yeah, I, I don't know what Lagerstrom <laughs> did to warrant <laughs> this honor, but I mean, sure. who knows? It could have been like a hazing ritual at the time. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, sure, I, yeah, I don't like, know what kind of person Carl Linnaeus was. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe this was mean spirited, but. Probably not. Probably I mean, not. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well. Yeah. That's that. Well. That. That's good. I mean, I. I it would be great if I could get a tree named like Haber Stromia. That would be. Cool, yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> but you know, Haber Stromia. Indica. Well, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know why. Why the Stromia? Yeah. The Strom on there. Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know. Well, we. Sounds you know, we could. We could. Uh, I'll. I'll run it by some people okay yeah um, well yeah if i ever discover a plant you'll be on the short list of people to name it after perfect yeah, that, yeah. that's all i've ever wanted yeah. uh so the the crepe myrtle it basically thrives really well in heat okay like in, it, it, it actually prefers it. it you know the more heat the better you know for, for this tree uh so that's why you see it a lot in the south just in places with very very warm climates mm-hmm. um the, the nice thing about this tree also is that there's been a lot of uh, um, varieties that have been bred uh, mm-hmm. and, and in, including varieties to make it more suitable in cooler environments. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, and it, so, you, you know, initially you saw it a lot in the South it became a symbol of the South really. And, and really I think a lot of people would, would associate it with 
places like Charleston, Savannah, uh-huh. whatnot. But um, but yeah, now you could pretty much find it anywhere in the country. I mean, maybe not like in the northern states as much, but but you see them everywhere here in California. Which, mm. oh, by the way, for the listeners, <laughs> that's where I'm located in California. Yes. Um, yeah. And, um, and I was saying, just going back a little bit, um, is is it? It's where is it from originally? Is it? I have a feeling it's Mediterranean, but that's just a feeling. Do you know? Well, you know that? In my notes, I have it in the wild. It was found a lot in India and oh, okay. Asia. I was completely Pacific wrong. Islands, yeah. You know, I, I would say <laughs> India. For, yeah, I guess certainly. where that's where that indica comes from, right? The Langstromia indica. I, I, p- Possibly, I think, yeah. Is indica derived from India or the other way I around? Think, I think, I think often, like there, there's a lot of the the second names of plants tend to refer to the general region where they fr- come from. So, like, there's a lot of plants here that are are blank Virginiana, and Virginiana doesn't mean just Virginia; it means kind of like the whole Virginia region of which was basically the whole East Coast when when um. When you know the colonists came here, uh, so sure. yeah, I, I think Indica does mean the India region in general. Yeah, and also for the listeners, we're not talking about pot. Yeah, we're, not that kind of Indica. Yeah, not that kind of Indica. We're this is Lagerstromia. Um, yeah, Lagerstromia yeah. Indica. Uh, yeah, so so that's pretty much what's known as the common crepe myrtle, the mm-hmm. Lagerstromia Indica. But you know, then you have some of these other species uh there there's a japanese crepe myrtle and that's lagerstromia farrei god I, mm-hmm. why, why am i even trying to pronounce it <laughs> uh, there's a, a chinese crepe myrtle lagerstromia subcustata <laughs> uh uh-huh. so yeah uh, um and and that these species actually have different um uh, characteristics uh that that uh make them important players uh in crossbreeding and and actually uh, in your backyard, uh, Steve. So there's a national arboretum in yeah. Washington D.C. Yes, which, I've never been. Somehow, okay. I've lived here a long time, but I've heard it's very cool. It yeah. Apparently, there there's some history here regarding the crepe myrtle. Oh, Back great! In, in the 1960s, there there was a uh, a person, Doctor Donald Egolf, um, who produced over 20 new varieties of the crepe myrtle and and this plant crossbreeding uh technique is pretty involved apparently they would just uh the process here involved taking the pollen from one plant using it to fertilize the flowers of of another plant uh and 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 then that plant that's being fertilized is protected against any sort of natural fertilization Mm -hmm. method you know by insects whatnot Mm -hmm. um and this produce they do this a lot, so it produces mm. thousands of seedlings. Seed, excuse me, produces mm. thousands of seedlings, um, and then they take a few of these to the next stage where they, they'll grow some trees, test out the the qualities, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. kind of in a subjective way figure out okay, which ones do we want to you know see growing a little more. How, how are they going to thrive in different climates? And basically. You know, this is kind of like a genetic algorithm in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's approach to crossbreeding, where where at, out of thousands of seedlings and outcomes, you know, few winners are are kind of, uh, uh, I guess, awarded, you know, created mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and officially released to the nurseries. Uh, 
So that was a process uh, back then and, and still is now. I think even uh, like 20 years ago, you were still seeing a lot of uh, new uh, breeds uh, uh, being released to yeah, nurseries yeah. around that's, the country and the world. That's a whole fascinating thing that I've only kind of like, you know, a little bit understand, but all, all the plants that like you grow, the different varietals, the cultivars, I guess, I don't know if there's a difference in actual meaning between cultivar and variety, but you know, they're the same, they're the same species, but they're so different. And it's like a dog. It's like how a, a, a mastiff and a poodle are the same species, but they're so different. And you can do that with plants as well. And there have been, you know, all these different industries around creating different plants with different characteristics, but it is particularly interesting when those characteristics are like, uh, subjective beauty right like like somebody's there deciding which crepe myrtle they think looks the prettiest um yeah that's pretty interesting yeah i never thought about that it's it is a lot like uh breeding dogs mm-hmm. uh and, and and certainly you know part of this is being able to create trees that could grow up to 10 to 20 feet tall and oh, versus yeah. oh. creating trees that are suitable for uh growth in a pot you know or, like, mm-hmm. or, or trees that would actually be more shrub like so so mm-hmm. you so these could vary in characteristics of you could have a crepe myrtle shrub or, or a crepe myrtle privacy screen or, or maybe just like a single tall crepe myrtle tree that becomes a centerpiece in your garden. Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually have. So this is off topic, but going back to the Yopon Holly, which I talked about in episode five with uh, our mutual friend Dave, I have two varieties of Yopon Holly in my yard. I have um, I have the, the Bordeaux variety, which is like a little tiny like ball shrub thing. And then I have the weeping holly, which actually grows more like a tree and then has these long branches that weep over. But they look, if you look at it from a distance, you'd be like, those are completely different plants, but they're literally the same species. They're just different cultivars of the same species. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I picked this tree. Uh, because... I was just about to get to that. Oh, about yeah, why sure. did you choose you this tree? So Sean, why did you choose the crepe myrtle? Oh, it's funny, funny you ask. Um, so the reason I picked this, uh, the, the personal touch here is that this is a tree that that I uh, physically planted oh, in cool. front of my house uh, when we moved in uh, a few years back. And uh, the so I live in Oakland and <laughs> we have this uh, kind of uh, planter, like basically in front of our house, like along the street. And there are power lines uh, above as well. And we wanted to plant a tree there, but we had to check with the city of Oakland to see what trees are suitable to plant along the mm-hmm. street. There's actually a, an official list. Probably every major city has this, you know, like mm-hmm, what are the mm-hmm. approved street trees? And um, and my wife uh, wanted a crepe myrtle and that was on the list. So we rented a U-Haul truck and drove to the nearest Lowe's and we picked up a baby crepe myrtle, and we were actually looking for one that would bloom these really dark pink leaves, and that's known as the uh, Lagerstromia tuscarora. Uh, they didn't have that, so I believe we ended up with another uh, variety called dynamite. <laughs> that, that's cool. the uh, English name, dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and it's very similar to tuscarora, that except the flowers are kind of more of a crimson red. Mm-hmm. Then, then this like really candy pink, mm-hmm. uh, but but all the same. I mean, otherwise it's basically the same tree. Uh, yeah, we we had this truck. We we 
drove it back home, dug a hole in front of the house and put it there and basically been each year kind of watching these trees grow fast. Yeah. So, so it's been really interesting just watching this thing grow. And, and especially this time of the year, like you see all the buds and, and new, new, like they had, there are no flowers yet uh, mm-hmm. this time of the year. We're, we're uh, in early spring right now, mm-hmm. but, um, but starting in summer, that's when uh, the, the flowers really start to come out and, and the flowers are very, very, uh uh colorful and presentative you know yeah you you can't miss it they but the flowers kind of just look like these reverse cones that no it's known as panicles Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. they appear at the end of these leaf shoots yeah so a panicle of flowers they appear at the end of these leaf shoots they could get up to like a couple feet long almost or oh wow cool yeah um and usually you'll start seeing them blossom in June, July, like mm-hmm. midsummer, and then they stay uh, basically on the tree for for well into fall. Mm-hmm. So you'll okay. you'll see flowers continue like so during the the hot months for sure, and then even into October, November, you'll still see the flowers in the trees until it's a deciduous tree. So eventually, mm-hmm. you know, all the leaves will change colors in the fall and and mm-hmm. then shed, and then the 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 tree is kind of just. Um, bundle of sticks yeah at that dormant, point during the winter months you know? for a while yeah, yeah yeah right so that's really um, interesting i think i think it makes sense you know why it's such a popular tree because the flower sticking around for so long i think is a desirable quality in a tree you know we yes. we we have the the famous cherry blossoms here in dc and those are very beautiful but the leaves last or the the flowers last like uh two weeks if you're lucky um, right if a storm comes in they can be like 10 days you know and that's usually um, uh like uh late winter beginning of spring for yeah yeah pretty early in Uh, in march march mm -hmm. timeline is when it normally happens yeah so so it's great the crepe myrtle is great especially in in uh in a region like where i live where where we're on a multi-year drought the Mm -hmm. the crepe myrtle doesn't really require much water if Mm. if anything too much water could actually hinder growth you Mm. know um and uh yet it yet it thrives you know yeah you know i mean you certainly want to give it a little water from time to time but you don't have to overwater it at all so it's it's a great tree to plant in environments where water might be scarce and where sunlight is abundant um so how how big was it when you got it and how big is it now several years later so we bought it it was really a baby and mm-hmm. and like the, the trunk was not the trunk was maybe barely an inch wide at that. Mm-hmm, like the, the mm-hmm. stake was wider than the trunk at this point. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but now, and, and as and as far as height, it might have been maybe six to eight feet tall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'd I'd say now it is at least twelve feet wow. tall. Maybe there could be a couple of shoots going up closer to 15 at this point. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so, cool. So certainly it's been growing in height and, and, and in width as well. And the trunk is much, much, uh, uh, bigger now. Uh, it's yeah, probably, I... probably a good three or four inches wide hmm. at this point. So do and, you find yourself now? I mean, it seemed like your experience with Crepe Myrtle was not much until you planted this tree. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, now, I don't pay attention to these things. So but now, I, but now it, do you see crepe myrtle now when you out in the wild? Oh. If now that you have one in your yard, is it like a tree that you recognize? Well, I see them all over the city. 
Yeah. And, and especially in neighborhoods and, and along the streets. And, uh, you know, I can see, oh, like that one has like the dark pink flowers. This one has the red flowers. And I can figure, oh, that's probably the same breed that we have here. Um, yeah. yeah. So I do notice him. And, and I compared them, too. There's actually one across the street from us in front of another house that I guess it gets. I mean, it's a bit older of a tree, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's certainly a lot bigger. You know, that, mm-hmm. that one's probably closer to 20 feet tall. And it oh, and wow. It blocks, nice. There are a lot more flowers that, that blossom on that one. And so I, I feel like our tree is kind of like the baby tree. And, and I'm kind of like hoping eventually one day it could grow into the adult tree that, that we see across the street, you know, and they, you, you know, um, but, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's got it, that other tree has a few years on our tree. So, you know, it's no big deal here. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But, but, but certainly, yeah, I, I do notice him. All over, and and it's hard not to notice them, especially yeah. during the summer months when they're in bloom. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, but the, but even when they're even when there are no flowers, it's still a remarkable tree to look at because the the bark of the tree is actually pretty fascinating. It's it's a multicolored bark, mm-hmm. and it's a type of bark that kind of constantly sheds, and it sheds in oh, these yeah. patches. So so I, it's it's not a type of tree that has a hard bark. It, it kind of, it, it maybe more resembles a type of eucalyptus bark, but uh-huh. it's not eucalyptus. It's like a pa- papery kind of thing. Yeah. It's more papery. It sheds in these little clenches and it's multicolored. Like you can get a variety of different colors that are like gr- gray and cream and a kind of like a soft pink, uh, uh. A cinnamon type color. So, so th- it's, so that alone is pretty interesting. Uh, and the tree that with the, the variety that we planted when the new leaves grow in, they grow in more of a red color and then kind of turn into a green color as they age throughout the, the hmm. summer months. So, so especially cool. during the summer, it's very easy to see where the new growth is because you just see these red shoots coming out of an otherwise green tree. Plant a tree for your tomorrow. It's your tree that clears the air. Plant a tree, trees for America. Plant a tree today for all the world to share. Well, well, thank you for sharing that uh, your your experience with a uh, crepe myrtle. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? I would love to hear it. Oh, great. Okay, so this is a bit of a theme on the podcast. It's about. Uh, weeds that grow in my yard that I also eat. This is a theme. I've been eating a lot of weeds uh, uh, in the last few years. And um, this one goes by a number of names. Its most common name is probably lamb's quarters. Are, have you heard the word lamb's quarters before? Well, I've, I've heard lambs and quarters. Okay, those are two words, yeah. But together, yeah. no. Yeah. Okay. No, not, not, not together, <laughs> no. So yeah, I, and I was trying. To, I I've been calling it lamb's quarters for years now, and it was literally only today when I was like, "Wait, why is it called lamb's quarters?" Uh, and I had to Google it, and it's not really that clear. Like I looked quite a bit, but there's one reference. A random website says that there was a a uh, harvest festival in England that was called Llamas, and it was the Llamas Quarter, which was like celebrating the quarters of the year. And somehow, I think maybe that plant was blooming around that time or something. But anyway, it's it's the more the more like descriptive name is goosefoot. Oh, nice! That is another goosefoot. name, and and it's in and in, in Latin. No, I've the, heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> in in Latin, the the Latin genus is Chenopodium, 
C H E N O podium, which means goosefoot. Uh, okay. So, yeah, and it does. If you look at the leaves, they kind of look like little goose feet. So that name makes more sense to me. I the lamb's quarters. I'm not quite sure. It's also called wild spinach, which makes sense because it is. It is. That's how you use it. It's like a wild spinach, and it is also known, which I've never heard anyone call it this in the wild but wikipedia says it's also sometimes called fat hen which i don't know why that's called fat hen um, okay they're, they're just going for like all the like barn animals i feel yeah like. yeah indeed like we got lambs we got geese we got hens yeah um okay yeah yeah so that's i, I see quarters. the theme here yeah yeah okay. yeah so that's lamb's quarters it, it's a it's a little it's a little shrubby thing it can get it can get maybe four feet tall if it gets really big sometimes it's much smaller it's got these little leaves that are maybe about an inch long they they look like a goose foot (laughs) they're they're kind of like silvery on the bottom and green on the top um in fact there there's there's a number of varieties and it's one of those plants that um exists in both the old world and the new world there's different different like varieties of it like different species but they're pretty close to the same so there's one called Cunopodium album which is white goosefoot that's from europe and uh asia and then uh the most common one in this side of the world is Cunopodium berlandieri which is named after a guy named jean-louis berlandier so these you know french guys coming here and naming their i'm glad you're naming their stuff the uh the (laughs) mispronunciation of french people yeah 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 so um so yeah, that, but uh, th- it's it's an interesting plant because it has been historically in both Europe and the United States a very important food crop. So um, you know, it was eaten as wild spinach in in Europe. In uh, in India, it's called bathua and is a very common food from what I understand. But what's the most interesting thing to me about it is in this part of the country, the e- the eastern part of the United United States. Um, it is one of the plants that was a part of the Eastern agricultural complex. And so uh, over history, there actually have been 10 independent centers of plant domestication in the prehistoric world. So 10 separate times people have domesticated plants and created like, you know, economy around certain domesticated plants. Now we're in like in the corn and soy <laughs> complex, I suppose, mm-hmm. right? But but there was one that was called the Eastern Agricultural Complex that it started from around Kentucky over the East Coast, and uh, and it consisted of uh, sunflower and squash, which we know of, but then marsh elder, knotweed, maygrass, little barley, and lamb's quarters are all plants that were cultivated, domesticated, and now have have rewilded themselves over time. So. It's a pretty interesting thing that there's this food crop that everyone's so dependent on. And essentially, I think the story is with the Eastern Agricultural Complex is corn made its way uh, from from Mexico up here at some point, you know, all pre uh, pre uh, European contact. And it just became such a popular plant that corn kind of overtook some of these other a little bit more difficult plants. And so the plants still existed, but they they stopped being as domesticated and the, the ways that that expressed itself in lamb's quarters is lamb's quarters not only has leaves, but it has these really interesting um, seed stalks that are very much like quinoa. In fact, quinoa is quinopodium quinoa. So it's actually the same family of, you know, the same genus quinoa. And so you can, you can make lamb's quarters, you can harvest the seeds and use them like a grain, but 
my understanding and I guess historical understanding is that the the seed stocks on the um, the lambs quarters that was uh, uh, you know domesticated as part of the Eastern agricultural complex they had much bigger seed pods easier to get more seeds out of and today the seed pods are still pretty prolific but not as big. Um, however, I did try this year for the first time to uh, harvest the seeds and use them like quinoa with, with middling success. I might try that again next year, but but yeah. So you've been eating it as a as a leaf prior. Yes, yes, and and it's okay. good as it's really good. You can put it in a salad. I like it better as a as like a cooked green, like a spinach. So you mm-hmm. just cook it up like spinach. The other thing I did with it, which I learned, um, I learned from. Uh, this uh, Instagram account called Frybread Riot. There's actually a woman who is a, a native woman from uh, from California was talking about how to make green tortillas, and she was using um, a different plant called um, stinging nettle. But I asked, like, what other plants can I do this with? And she's like, oh, lamb's quarters is a good spring vegetable to do this with. So I've done this a few times where you take the lamb's quarters and you um, you blanch it in hot blanch them in hot water. And then you blend them in that hot water, or blend it up really, really um, fine. So you have this like ju- like jar of green water, and then you use that liquid to mixed with masa to make tortillas, and then you end up with this really bright green tortilla, which is oh, pretty okay. cool and very tasty. Uh, so that's something I've done with it a number of times. Um, and then, I yeah, prefer just, the, the the green tortillas when I go to yeah. taquerias because I feel like I'm being healthier, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You get the spinach well, tortilla. The, yeah, if they're full of spinach, they they are good, and they're full of wild spinach uh, even better. So yeah, this this is yeah, it's a really cool plant. It grows all over my yard. Like right now, it's like popping up everywhere, and it's a good time because you can pull it up when they're really small and the leaves are more tender and they're even better. So I'm hoping to get around to that here. Um, but yeah, and I just I just really like thinking about um, these plants that I mean, it's really interesting. These plants that whole economies were based out of, and now like people don't even think about them or treat them as weeds. You know, it's pretty interesting to me. Oh yeah. One other little tip is I didn't know this until I was talking with my wife, Carla, who's from Mexico, as you know, and, uh, and they are still eaten in Mexico and they do still have a, uh, a variety that gets the seed, the seed pods really big. So they have, um, they, it's got two different words in Mexico. It's huazontle, which is where you eat the the flower heads when they're young, uh, kind of like broccoli. So before they get to seed, you pick them and you like eat them like broccoli. Or the greens are called calite, and you can just use them as greens. But I've seen this really cool stuff. I would like to try this, but mine aren't that good, where they take the whole seed head like broccoli, and then they fry it, and they put it in tacos, which looks pretty good. So sure. yeah, that's... that's um. That's Goosefoot. Goosefoot, that's great. How is this different from like the the organic spinach I'll buy at Trader Joe's? <laughs> well, it's free. That's pretty good. Oh, if you um, grow it yourself, yeah. Yeah, well, and also it's a weed. You can literally like, I don't know about your neck of the woods, but probably you just go out to some like abandoned lot and you'll probably just find tons of it. I was walking in New York City a while back and there was like a six foot tall uh, Goosefoot just like in Brooklyn. So, mm-hmm. you know. The plant, and, you know, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 The plant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah. It's. I mean. That's. I do. I do. Really. I've really gotten into this idea of foraging lately, and this idea of how, like all the food that exists that we just ignore, and you know, and if you're getting, if you're harvesting, like wild greens from property you don't own, you probably need to be somewhat aware of what happens there, right? Like you probably mm-hmm. don't want to go to the local park where they might be spraying, you know, pesticides or whatever. But if you can go to like a real wild area, and you find something like that. 
it's it's free food and it's tasty and it you know it tastes similar to spinach especially when you cook it um but the leaves are smaller right so and, and it is you do need a bit more of it because like spinach leaves are big so you can get sure. more but yeah it's it's a it's a good cooked green that's great and it sounds like yeah not only could it be a good cooked green but then with the seedlings or the seeds you can make a, a quinoa yeah i mean you, you could basically make a whole meal out of yeah weed yeah, and, and it is quinoa it, and greens. Yeah, it, totally. And and it, as far as like a a free forage food, the, there's not a lot of like greens or like plants like that that have um that are high in protein. But the seeds that you can harvest, like oh, like sure. like quinoa, it's a, it's a relatively high in protein for a plant. So so yeah, I'm going to try the seeds again this year. Last year, I I think I I don't know, maybe I harvest them a little late or a little early. I don't know. They were, or maybe that's just how they are because they're not <laughs> they're not uh, selectively bred to have like big puffy seeds but it was like pretty gritty i ended up mixing it in with some other stuff like some other real quinoa and some rice and it was it was fine but i i gotta uh, experiment with that a little bit more but it was fun well that's great and like so it sounds like you have quite the garden then you know um of of different you know plants that you're growing and eating Yes, I do, okay. and it's a combination of stuff that I grow and the weeds that that actually just grow naturally. Um, and so, this has been a theme uh, of the podcast. I, I so, could, yeah, how many plants this, were weeds? Uh, Go was this one that I, I, I might have missed this? This was a you, you keep mentioning weeds, so I'm assuming yeah. you did not intend to grow this. It Definitely just, not. No, it is a weed. Oh, okay. it just grows. Yeah, it just grows everywhere. So it grew, and then you learned. Okay, this is lamb's quarters, and and either out of uh, you know spite or or curiosity, you decided to eat it. Yeah, curiosity okay. definitely. There was no okay. uh, ill will involved, but yes. Okay. And I'd read about it, and uh, yeah, I'll show you weed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> All right, well, that's well, great. Yep that that's it. Uh, thanks for joining me on a so the, on another episode. And the lesson here is that you know don't disregard your weeds in, in your yeah. garden so so quickly. It could be good food. Absolutely, that is definitely something. But, but don't I'm... also don't take this advice seriously. I don't want people to <laughs> to yes. poison themselves. You know, totally. I, that's a good point. There was an episode which I don't think you've listened to where I talked about a plant called uh, pokeweed, which is actually toxic if you don't prepare it correctly. And that one, I had lots and lots of disclaimers about not eating it. But great okay. point. The, the rule for harvesting a wild food is make sure that you have connected with a local expert who can really confirm for you and make sure you can really confirm that it's the plant that it is. Luckily, lamb's quarters, there's not a lot of like similar plants, at least in my part of the country. But anyway, uh, forager beware, be responsible. Uh, that's my disclaimer for the forage episode. at your own risk. Indeed. It is now going to get a little bit avant-garde here on the podcast. Allow me to explain myself. At the beginning of the show, I played the song Daisy Bell by the British songwriter Harry Dockray from 1892, and I followed that up by playing a version of Daisy Bell sung by an IBM 704 computer, the first computer ever to sing a song from 1961. And that got me going down this whole rabbit hole of computers and how computers can generate music and very interesting whole thing to learn about completely different from plants but still really interesting but that inspired me to create an original piece of music which i'm calling daisy 2 
And how I made this song is I use this website called Boomi.com that lets anybody generate brand new music using artificial intelligence. And then I added the vocals from the IBM 704 computer singing Daisy Bell. And to top it off, I asked our guest from today's podcast, Sean Haber, to add some guitar on top of the whole thing. And so this is what we came up with, a collaboration between me, Sean Haber, and a computer. Here it is, Daisy 2. guest on this episode of Rootbound was Sean Haber. Sean is an incredible guitar player. He plays in the bands The Apprehenchman, great name, and The Paranoid Strain Orchestra. And a long, long time ago, he was even in a band with me and fake ad voice Dave. Rootbound is hosted by me, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, maybe plant a tree or eat some weeds, but definitely avoid the murderous robots. This ad paid for by the Committee for Campium Truth.